Good morning and welcome to Windsor Baptist Church this morning. Perhaps longing to come to worship, perhaps here out of routine, but we come to a God who is calling us, each person here, to know Him and serve Him. Our focus this morning is on the God who leads and guides us in mission. And I want to say a very special welcome to family and friends of David and Dorothy McMillan. We'll hear more about a new chapter opening up in their lives later on in the service. But we begin with those words that we've just been hearing, a call to each person present to stand back, to see what God is doing in his world, and allow that to resonate in our hearts and lives as we come to him in worship. Mission is not just the duty assigned to a few. The final words of Luke's gospel are on the screen where we read, while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually in the temple, praising God. And they've been the basis for an inspiring sentence by this missionary who said mission begins with an explosion of joy. And I hope that's what happens here this morning, that as we come into God's presence, as we sense what he is doing in the world, there would be that sense of an explosion of joy that resonates in our hearts as we get caught up with what he is doing. So let's pray at the beginning of our time and ask that we might know more of the reality of that in all that we do today. Eternal God, we come to you. Your glory fills the whole earth and your power is beyond measuring. Your gifts are good and perfect. Your love is more than we can know and your grace is enough for everything. We see glimpses of your power as the storms blow across the seas and our lands this weekend. And we know that you have authority over nature and nations. And so we come humbly to worship you, creator and powerful God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Lord, I'm often cold and indifferent to you. Have mercy on me. I lose sight of what you're doing around me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Lord, I confess that my words are often cheap and self-centered Open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praises. 
life-giving God. By your spirit, you brought creation out of chaos and you give life to the world. Thank you that you have found us and you have changed us and you have awoken and inspired us and you've given us new life in Jesus Christ. May we this morning be renewed by your love. And we pray that we would worship you today with great joy. And so God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer, we give you thanks and praise and commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand together and sing. And uh, just as you do, recognize there's a few more people who are going to come in. So if you're in a pew, move up into the middle or off to the sides. And uh, as we stand together and sing this, others will join you. But this hymn, Lord of the Years, was written for Scripture Union's centenary in 1967. And it celebrates the work of God throughout history and in our lives and encourages thankfulness. But it also calls us in prayer that we would know Christ reigning in our lives and changing us and renewing us today. So let's stand together and join in singing thanks to God for all his goodness in our lives. Thank you, Richard. Richard did say, as uh, I spoke to him before the service, that it's the golden oldies who are reassembled at the front. I'm sure he was... Uh, not referring to Heidi, of course, but I want to say thanks to Heidi for the work that she's put into reassembling uh, the praise group who worked with Dorothy in the past. And so it's great just to have that celebration of the past as well as uh, an opportunity to look forward with them. And in a few moments, David and Dorothy are going to come and talk about what they are go going to be doing, uh, what lies ahead. But first of all, I'd like to welcome Peter Dunn, who is the mission director with BMS. And uh, Peter is, is here to say a little bit about BMS, but I want to say thanks to him for coming over and for being willing to say something about the focus of BMS. Uh, and not many of us in our Irish Baptist churches will know an awful lot about BMS. But in every encounter that I have had, I have been struck by your generosity and your interest in the work here in Ireland and in uh, just the way in which you have received us. So, Peter, thank you, and you're very welcome to Windsor Baptist. Thank you very much. And thank you. you can use that clicker just to tell thank us you. more. Thank you. Well, thanks for your welcome. It's great to be here. My um, childhood was spent in Belfast, so you won't get it from my accent. Um, came to faith in a school in Hollywood, so I'm not too far from here. So it's great to be back. My mother actually taught with Dorothy in school, Elm Grove Primary School, so we've got that sort of link going on as well. But it's a real privilege to be here today. I was very struck with just picking up your church vision statement, a vision to be a church without walls. And um, just that sense of, you know, as we gather together, we gather together about thinking of, uh, enclosed by walls, but concern for outside the walls. The Great Commission is about going to all nations, isn't it? It's going to the ends of the earth. And that's, in, a, in essence, what BMS is about. We have this statement that we put before ourselves, which is the highest goal of all we do is to bring people to faith in our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and experience the, the abundant life that only he can provide. 
And in a sense, it's just trying to say that we believe in both speaking about Jesus and demonstrating Jesus' love to people as well. Words and actions go together and cannot be separated. I can think of um, a friend of mine, one of our, our team leader in India, a guy called Benjamin Francis. The last 12 years, they've seen about 12,000 house churches planted in West Bengal and Orissa. And um, huge, you know, dramatic church growth, quite phenomenal, really. And yet one day Ben said to me, he said, Peter, we're seeing people coming to faith in Christ every day, but they're dying because they don't have access to clean water, health care, etc. And so we try and work with Ben in that sense of we support Ben and his church planting, but also saying it's right that people should be able to access health care and clean water, sanitation, etc. So that's, in essence, that statement defines who we are and what we do. And what we've been doing for over... I mean, BMS history goes back over 200 years to 1792 and a guy called William Carey who first had this idea of a church without walls when he stood up in a meeting, probably a bit smaller than this, and said, God's called me to India. And some guy said, sit down, Carey, you know. If God wants to convert the people in India, he'll do it himself without you. But fortunately, Carey didn't take that view and he went to India and so BMS started in 1792. Where do we work? We say that um, this is all re re relatively new for us. We've, set, we've just at the beginnings of starting, literally about three weeks ago, beginning of November, our vision for the next five years, where we're saying we want to, through partnership, contribute to a million lives being transformed around the world. Um, but whereabouts around the world, we say, and again, it comes back to this proclaiming and demonstrating the love of God, we want to work where people are most marginalized, where people don't have access to some of the basic... Um, things in life that we take for granted. Um, I was thinking this morning about Dorothy's background in education, but if I was to take you to Mozambique in sort of southern Africa where we work, for um, a girl to pass her school exams, she will be expected to give sexual favours to her teacher at school. Um, we had a young girl recently that we were working with who was just 14 years old and she was raped, turned up at the police station, and they said, that's fine, that's just what you expect as a young girl growing up in Mozambique today. And so we work with legal justice alongside the churches. Last year um, in Uganda, if I was to take you to Uganda, where we work with legal justice, 40,000 people benefited from legal aid. We're the largest provider of legal aid in Uganda, for example. So there's a real sense that we're trying to say, how do we bring about change in the world that is holistic? In a couple of days' time, I'll be in the House of Lords where we've been working. Uh, well, not been work, it would be a good place to work in the House of Lords, wouldn't it? I'm sure they could do with preaching the gospel there. But um, we've been working in the Central African Republic with Tear Fund around conflict resolution as well alongside the church there. So we work where people are marginalised. We work where they are least evangelised. And I put this little pink sort of little window which sort of shifts up a little bit when you think of least evangelised. So we work in countries um, that would include much of Europe today where I suppose in history you went back you'd say Europe's where the church is strongest and yet actually today Europe is where the church is perhaps weakest and that's why we're excited for David and Dorothy going to work in that European context, places like Albania. We work in, just this time last year I was in a country um, in North Korea, not a country many people, has anyone been to North Korea here? Let me see, I always think that's a good one, I've been somewhere no one else has been. Um, but North Korea, a country that's closed to the gospel. Um, we've actually got a guy who was at the same primary school as me, Strandtown Primary School, who's now working in North Korea with his, with his wife. They're dentists. 
um, and a closed country in many ways to the gospel. Um, I remember staying in a hotel there last year and they've literally got a camera on you and a microphone on you, um, which is a bit embarrassing really. And, uh, but I thought I would take advantage of this the best I could and I prayed those sort of preachy prayers that can annoy me a bit sometimes, you know. <laughs> Lord, I thank you, I'm a sinner and now, I, you know. And, and I, my na- colleague I was travelling with, she was singing songs in the next room I could hear, you know, um, which was great. So... Um, but we, we're committed to working where the gospel is least present across the world, whether that be in Europe, but also in what we talk about as fragile states. So states where it's very difficult, you know, because of conflict and because of political unrest, it's very difficult to work. Um, places like Afghanistan, one of our largest teams is in Afghanistan. I had a message on my phone this morning from there. We've just been evacuating some people from way up in the northeast of Afghanistan over the last couple of weeks. Um, but problems with ISIS now being present and active on the ground where the Taliban seem more fragmented. And so it's a complex place in which to work. I think for me, growing up in Belfast helps me to feel a little more at ease in Kabul, perhaps. Um, but uh, it's a place that, you know, where, where we need to be as God's people. Um, another country would be um, Lebanon, um, which oddly enough fits in the European Baptist grouping but we work um, particularly on in the Bekar Valley well in across Lebanon but in the Bekar Valley where you have Syrian refugees coming across in their thousands and last year when I was traveling there sat in a church where um, the first service was church Baptist church with 50 members then the second service was 250 people from a Muslim faith who are coming to faith in Christ and they would say today that there are thousands of people Muslims turning to faith in Christ because they see the Christians responding with love and compassion um, to them as refugees coming across the border, people who are old enemies. Um, and again, you know, just that history of conflict between Syria and Lebanon, between Muslim and Christian, and yet the Christian Lebanese are greeting the Lebanese Muslim. God at work in the most fragile states across the world, and we want to be part of that. And this is just a simple representation of that. We have over... 200 people from the UK sent overseas and another 200 people who will be national people working in country. So people from West Bengal working in West Bengal, people from Mozambique working in Mozambique. Um, oh, this is moving very slowly. Sorry about this. That little arrow going up the way. But it gives you some idea of the sort of context we work in about 30 countries across the world, different people um, in different settings. And just to give you some idea of that, um, the family in the middle, uh, as I speak to you, they're in Lal in central Afghanistan, um, where one in four women die in childbirth. And they're working in that context with maternal health, but also making Christ known. Lal is one of the only places in Afghanistan where I know that Christians can openly meet together without fear of, of open persecution. And there's David and Dorothy there as well, joining the team. And partnership is what it's all about. Well, if you go back to that very beginning, I said through partnership to see a million lives transformed. And very much part of that partnership is for BMS with local churches. We don't just send, we, we send no one without the support and prayers of a local church. And that's why it's great for me to be here. My privilege to be with you, to thank you for your involvement with Dave and Dorothy over many years, but going forward as well, they'll be a distance away, though I'm sure they'll be turning up once in a while, but they're part of the church family here. They're not leaving in a sense, but they're still, they're going out as part of, of you as a church, but also uh, in partnership with BMS. So thank you for your support for them, and I just want to encourage you to continue in that journey. But let me hand over maybe Dave and 
David and Dorothy, thank you. Thanks very much, Peter. Realize there's a generation who have grown up here who know not David and Dorothy. And so uh, you will get an opportunity to hear more about who they are. But it's not every church that gets the chance to send off their pastor. When David would have visited our missionaries to Niger or Nepal, he would have sent back epistles, uh, memorable records of his observations. Uh, and we have the chance today to send David and Dorothy off uh, as missionaries from this church, which is a real privilege. Uh, we are indebted to them for their years of service here, 12 years as pastor. And I remember when you came, David talked about it being like the beginning of a roller coaster. And it was, and I sense that maybe this new chapter, there's a a challenge to us to fasten our seatbelts for uh, the next chapter of this roller coaster. So it really is a privilege and a joy to welcome you to come and tell us a bit about it. And then a little bit later, we're going to be commissioning you to this task. Thanks. Thank you, Gordon. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm Dorothy, and this is David. And you may laugh, but there are some people here that have been very good friends of ours for 20, 30, maybe even more years. And there are other people who are saying, who on earth are they? I've never seen them before in my life. So I won't take anything for granted. I'll just give you a little bit of our, our backstory, as they say, a wee bit of background. Um, we were, have been members of this church for over 20 years now. As you've heard, David was pastor for 12 years, just before the new David came. Um, like tradition. Yeah, you need to be called David to be pastor of this church. And uh, I've been working over the years as a primary teacher, as you heard. I worked with Betty Dunn, who's Peter's mummy, which makes me feel like quite old. She used to give me a lift to school every morning to Elmgrove. And then I worked in nursery school for a while. And for the last 12 years, I've been a lecturer in Strand, in Strand Mills University College, as it's called, up the road. And I just retired from that back in the summer, hoping to put my feet up and do some knitting and some patchwork and play with my grandchildren, who are here down at the back, waving to me. Um, but it didn't work out that way because God's got a new chapter for us at the minute. And uh, I'll come back to that. In the last eight years after David finished here, he's been doing a variety of jobs. He's done some teaching in the Irish Baptist College, Belfast Bible College, the Irish Bible Institute in Dublin. And he's also had a really interesting job where he was called the transition officer and he was responsible for moving, I won't say transiting because that's not a word. He was responsible for moving um, the International Baptist Theological Seminary, as it was called, the European Seminary in Prague, moving it, lock, stock and barrel, to Amsterdam in the Netherlands. That was an interesting job. Involved organising the moving of 40,000 library books, um, winding up some people's contracts who weren't going to be coming, getting rid of all the furniture in a very, very big site, and all sorts of other things, working with lawyers and estate agents and so on to sell it. And in fact, that's not all completed yet. But the new study centre, the International Study Centre, is now up and running in its second year in Amsterdam. And I'll come back to that in just a minute. That's BMS. This is our family, and they're here today, and some of you know them well. Sarah in black, towards the right of the picture there, and Simon, her husband, and their two wee boys. That picture's not very up to date, so I added updates for the boys. It's the boys who change most, isn't it? Joel is four and a half. Sorry, I forgot to put it there. 
And Luke underneath, that was a grumpy day, but he's really not grumpy, he's great. He's two and a half, which I forgot to put in there. And then on the left of the picture in the sort of beige jumper is Kathy or Catherine and her husband Tom, who has his little nephew on his knee there. They're all here. You'll see Tom because he's six foot seven, so he stands out in a crowd. And we're really, really glad that they all were able to come today. And we had Christmas yesterday with my mum and we've had a great weekend together. Now we are living in this place, the International Mission Centre in Birmingham. Uh, if you've ever been in Clan Rye and Ulsterville Avenue, you'll know that we quite like big houses. <laughs> this is not all our house. We live in a little two-bedroom flat in the back of this house, but it's, it's a great place. And here we've been training since September, doing lots of cross-cultural training, eating our rice with our hands and no knives and forks and all sorts of other things that they make you do over there. And we've had a great time working with 10 other people. There are 12 of us in the MT group, the mission trainees. We, of course, are the oldest, as you'd expect, and there are people of all ages right down to their 20s. And it's wonderful to hear how God's been working in their lives and calling them to lots of different parts of the globe. I won't tell you them all, but uh, we're the, going the shortest distance, going to Amsterdam. People are, people are going much further um, and are really feeling God's call on their lives, and that's been great. And this is where we're going. On the 5th of January, we set off. We're proper missionaries. We're going on a boat. Um, we're not flying. We're taking our camper van. We're taking another girl who's going to work in France with her dog. And we're setting off. No, she's not going to work with her dog. She's well, she might work with her dog. But yeah, Christine's coming with Isla, her lab. And she can't go on a plane with her dog, so she's coming with us. So we're giving somebody a lift. And we're heading off on the 5th of January to IBTS Centre, which is now in Amsterdam, which brings me back to what I said earlier about David having moved it. About a year ago, we were asked to consider thinking about joining BMS World Mission so that they could second us to work in this study centre, which David helped to set up, so he knows quite a lot about. I will do some work there too, I hope. I can't teach theology or any of those things, but there are other bits and pieces that I hope I can do and that will fit in. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, there's plenty Dorothy can do, and will do, I'm quite sure. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, the centre. Um, it exists to prepare leaders and educators and to provide research that supports ministry and mission uh, of churches of the European Baptist Federation region and beyond. Uh, mostly what it offers in academic terms is postgraduate qualifications, masters and PhDs. We do the PhD work in conjunction with the, free, the Faculty of Theology of the Free University of Amsterdam. We have about 30 people at the minute on the PhD programme and a number of people on the, on the uh, master's programme as well. And it's been at the heart of EBF for many years, first in Rischlikon in Switzerland from 1948, then in Prague, it moved to Prague in 1994, and now in Amsterdam, and it's kind of come back home because Amsterdam was the home of the first Baptist church uh, ever in 1609. We went to a big conference uh, in 2009 to celebrate the 400 years of the establishment of the First Baptist Church in Amsterdam, in the world, in Amsterdam in 1609. And we were going to take t-shirts with us, but we didn't think they'd be appreciated. And we were going to print t-shirts that said, remember 1609. <laughs> but we thought it would only be the few of us from Ireland who would actually understand that too. Uh, why is it there and what does it do? Well, there is a need for postgraduate training for leaders and teachers uh, in the EBF region and beyond. Um, many years ago, it was possible for members of EBF to set up their own seminaries within their own countries as the political situation changed. 
but for many getting the opportunity to have uh, training at a level of masters and PhD was very difficult and very difficult to get it recognised and IBTS in Prague served that function very well for many years and now in Amsterdam continues to do that. Um, in Amsterdam, part of the focus will be to become more proactive in research into mission, church planting, and uh, how the kingdom of God is being extended in Europe and further afield. So that rather than simply being a place where people come to do their own research, uh, we hope to be a place where research will be initiated that will serve and strengthen the church in the 21st century. And also, we have an interest in uh, trying to um, embed within the life of the seminary or the, the study center uh, the work of Glenn Stassen, uh, an American guy um, who was very involved in the just peacemaking uh, concept. And um, for some years we've wanted to do that. We haven't really had the facilities to do it, but that's the thing that we would very much like to see developed as the churches that we serve across Europe face increasing ethnic conflicts within their own borders, between communities. We think of the, the strains and stresses between Russia and Ukraine. There are many Christians living in both and, and struggling to learn to deal with those kinds of issues. This is the EBF map, so you get a sense of the region that we're interested in serving and that we work with, right down into the Middle East and right up into the uttermost uh, parts of the Northern Hemisphere and across into the stands into Central Asia. It covers a very wide area and we're hugely privileged to be able to work with men and women right across this area and we would like to see how we can develop that work and make it even more accessible and the fruit of our work more accessible right across this range. Why are BMS World Mission sending us? Well, the centre has limited resources to meet the needs but great vision and opportunities, so we take our experience and expertise in pastoral ministry and education and research, in training and publications and in peace and reconciliation work, and that's what we hope to contribute over the years in uh, Amsterdam. We'd like you to keep in touch with us. You can do so by following our blog called Reclaimed Ground. Most of Amsterdam is built on reclaimed ground. A few years extra work for Dorothy is like reclaimed ground. And um, yeah, we like that title, it was given to us. So you can find us, reclaimground.wordpress.com. You can follow us there and sign up to follow us. I take no responsibility for the posts that Dorothy puts up, including the one that was put up yesterday. Um, uh, we have a newsletter, and if you'd like to receive the newsletter, you can either sign up to have it electronically, uh, or you can follow us at these various mechanisms. There's Twitter, at David at Clan Rye. There's at IBTS Centre. There's the IBTS Centre website. Or just give us your postal address if you're really stuck. And finally, as they used to say on News at 10, um, whether you've been a friend, close friend, for very many years, or whether you've just seen and heard us for the first time this morning, we really hope that you'll pray for us. Um, we're very grateful to Windsor for so many things over the years and at this stage in our lives we're very grateful for your prayer support and your practical support and thank you for that. Please pray that we'll find somewhere to live in Amsterdam. We've got somewhere for the first two months but we're hoping that we can get something that will serve us longer ter term as we hope to be there for around four years. And for our first big job, we get there on the 6th of January, and the last two weeks of January are a big student research conference, which will be extremely busy, so we really need to hit the ground running. Please pray for us in that. Um, pray for Futures Week. This is when the staff who are already there are meeting with us, all of us getting together at the end of February when we've got time to settle in, to really think about what God's saying about the future and what we should be doing. 
We know that the Amsterdam Centre is doing a lot of the same work as Prague, but Europe's a changing place and God has things that he wants us to do that maybe we don't even know about yet. So please pray for us in that week. And thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, David and Dorothy. We're going to sing together. And this next hymn, Be Thou My Vision, is really a request to see something more. And as we set David and Dorothy apart in a few minutes, I'm going to be asking them questions. And then I'll ask you to stand together at a given moment. I'll tell you when. And respond with an affirmation that you're agreeing with all of this in a very serious commitment to engage in mission together. So first, let's ask that we would be filled in a fresh way with how God sees his world. And uh, David and Dorothy are going to come and join me and answer questions. And then after that, I'm going to ask the elders to come and join us. Uh, Roy Gamble as uh, chairman of the missionary committee and also Peter Dunn from BMS to come and we will pray for them, uh, but I will tell you when you should stand and follow Dave and Dorothy's cue because the answers to all these questions are, there, are either I will or I do. And if you get one of those two, you'll be on the right lines. David and Dorothy, do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do you believe that Jesus Christ calls you and all people everywhere to follow him? And do you believe that at this time he calls you to work with BMS in IBTSC? We do. Jesus told his followers, go and make disciples of all nations. In your ministry, will you seek to ensure that the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed and demonstrated in such a way that many will hear and understand the good news? We will. You have heard God's call. Will you continue to listen to him speaking to you through his people in different contexts and cultures in Europe? We will. You've opened yourself to God. Do you believe he has prepared you to go to IBTS to work in partnership with others? Do you go willingly to give and to receive, to teach and to be taught? We do. Dave and Dorothy, you have committed yourself to share Christ with others. Do you now recommit your life to him? Do you promise to be faithful in prayer, in reading the scriptures, and in seeking the mind of Christ through reflection and fellowship, that all you do may be firmly rooted in the love and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? We do. Invite the congregation to stand. And as you stand, perhaps the elders, Roy and Peter, can join us at the front. <clears throat> we have gathered because we believe God has called David and Dorothy to work with IBTSC. We've come as a sign of fellowship and to surround them with our prayers. Do you now commit yourself to be faithful in prayer, continuing to pray for David and Dorothy and support them in practical ways? We do. 
Let's pray together. Gracious God, we bless you for your servants, David and Dorothy. And we see them embracing your call to be pilgrims and strangers in the world. You've given good gifts to your church. And we thank you for all the ways in which they have been equipping others for service. So now as they face this new challenge, we pray that you would equip them with everything good to do your will. We believe your timing has been perfect. I knew, we know this is your time for Europe. And so as they go to Amsterdam next month, open a door for them to meet the people you are preparing to serve your church across this continent. We know your love sustains us through all things. So we pray with confidence for David and Dorothy as they negotiate changes and take on things that may be hard in this new work. Bless their teaching and writing skills that it may be for a time like this. Defend them from all evil and keep them faithful through every trial. You are the one who offers peace. We pray that they would know that peace in their own hearts and direct people in the ways of peace in our fractured communities with competing demands. And we pray for their family, for Sarah and Simon and Kathy and Tom and Joel and Luke, that they would be a great source of support and encouragement from Oxford. And we pray for family members here in Northern Ireland, especially Dorothy's mum. May your protection and love surround them. Enable us to engage in ways that will help them stay on task and serve you with joy. Keep us faithful in prayer, trusting you. So, Lord God, send your Holy Spirit to equip David and Dorothy for all that you have prepared for them to do. Transform them in the likeness of Christ to follow in his footsteps and fill them with your power. In the name of Jesus Christ, the head of the church and Lord of all. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, everyone. David and Dorothy, it, uh, it is a real honor and a privilege to be your pastor on a day like this, although slightly strange, if I'm honest. Uh, many of you know that David was my mentor during the time that I spent on the Arrow Leadership Program, which was just a few years before I came here, which is now seven years ago this weekend that I came here. And I suppose I've, I've always looked uh, to David and Dorothy as the kind of ones that were looking after me and encouraging me and, and calling me on as opposed to the other way around. But it is the way it is. And so to have this chance to speak today as your pastor as we commission you into this exciting new phase is, is special. Now, having said that, what I'm about to say next risks not being or sounding particularly pastoral. Uh, but I'm going to take the risk anyway. I think you're, you're aware that we as a church have been rereading the story of Daniel and his adventures over the, the past three months. And two weeks ago, we, uh, we finished 
the first half of that fascinating book, and we're going to be picking it up again in the second half in the new year. But as we reached Daniel chapter 6, I started a couple of Sundays ago by making the point that, it, that it's not only how we start the Christian life, it's not only how we start this race, this kind of journey with Jesus that matters. It's also how we finish that counts. And therefore, we need to keep going. And we need to keep growing throughout our lives as we get older. It's so necessary. It's so important. It's also so challenging. And as I made the connection with Daniel's journey, because he was someone who clearly kept the faith over a long period of time, I shared and I showed this quote. And, and many of you were, who are here that day will know what I'm about to say. Now, before I show it, and this is where the risk comes in, okay? This could be taken as offensive, right? Or at best, pretty insensitive. But I'm going to show it anyway. Because, now hear this bit, it's not right, okay? You, you need to hear that bit. Although it's not right, it does contain a sense of what I love about you and what I know about you, and what I, I continue to pray for you. And so here's the quote I showed from Jared Kelly. From tenacious teenager to provocative pensioner, <laughs> Daniel proves across the years that faith can thrive in exile. Now, I'm not sure what your reaction is to that, and I know I'm in for it, okay? <laughs> and I know it's not very pastoral. And I know you're not pensioners, Okay, that, that's why it's not right. And so this quote does need to be adapted, and I'm going to adapt it in a moment. But the reason I wanted to use it today again, and, and I promise I really wrestled with whether to show it or not, but the reason I couldn't get it out of my head when I thought about this morning was because I, and, and many others here, and many others across Ireland, and in fact across Europe, that as a result of your provocative lives and ministry over many years. I have always, and I know many people can echo this, I have always loved and appreciated and benefited from your desire to keep provoking and to keep pushing people's thinking about what does it actually mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I've loved your desire to keep learning and your desire to keep asking questions, your desire to keep being peacemakers and peacekeepers, your desire to kind of keep moving forward into new places and into new opportunities and into new spheres of influence. In the words of St. Brendan's prayer, which I know is really special to you, you're not afraid of letting go of the familiar and moving into the unknown from tenacious teenagers to provocative people, right? There's the adoption. <laughs> you have proved, David and Dorothy, you have demonstrated that faith can thrive over years and in different environments, which often do feel at times, more often than not, like exile. And so my prayer, or one of my prayers for you, because I've, I've, I've got four to share this morning, but one of my prayers for you is this, that as you launch out into this new phase at this stage of your lives, that you will continue to be those kind of people as you serve with BMS 
and IBTSC. David and Dorothy, keep that edge as you keep the faith. In, in this BMS Vision for the Future booklet, the highest school that we've already heard referred to, it talks about BMS's commitment to theological and missiological development, and it reads, sometimes controversial, always challenging. We believe that the mission of the church demands an engagement between faith and culture. It strikes me that you two are perfectly suited to contribute to that engagement. And so my first prayer for you is, David and Dorothy, keep being provocative. Keep pushing the boundaries. Keep blurring the lines. <laughs> keep heading out into new places. I am tempted to finish there because it's nearly 25 too, but I do want to share more, three more prayers. Plus, as I was thinking about this, I did actually want to create some distance between that first point and the end of the service so just before I get a kicking. <laughs> I, I, I am going to return to Daniel in a moment as well because if nothing else, all your names start with the same letter. But let me... Well, not, I'm not very creative. What, uh, but I also want to refer to your prayer card. Now, I know it's not available yet. I know it's being printed. But I want to refer to your prayer card and your calling because I kind of know a little about it. But on that card is, as I understand it, is, is a reference to a verse from Ephesians 4 that kind of captures and reflects your calling, but also what you believe the calling of IBT SC to be. And, and here is the verse that's on your prayer card. Your calling is to equip God's people for service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And, and I know that's your heart. And that's your desire. And I know it has been for, for many years as you've served in Uri and as you served here at Windsor, as you served with Econi, with IBN and numerous other places and context. And I know it, it kind of continues this to fuel your motivation as you complete your time in Birmingham and, and head for Amsterdam. But I want to go, kind of go back to the start of that chapter. I, I want to go back to how Ephesians 4 begins. And I want to grab the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Christians and for the pastors and for the teachers and for the evangelists. And I want to use that and share that as my second prayer for you. And, and, and it's this. Because Paul's writing from his prison cell. And, and here's what he writes. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And David and Dorothy, I pray that you would live lives worthy of your calling to equip people. Or, as it's phrased in the message, I, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, Run on the road that God has called you to travel. But what, is that, what does that actually look like? On the ground and in the everyday? Well, in Ephesians 1, immediately after he expresses that prayer, Paul does give us some insight. He, do, he does offer some advice as what it does actually mean to live this life. And I know I could take time to, to look at the characteristics of humility. That's what Paul says, be humble. Or I could look at gentleness or I could look at what Paul says, this is what it means to live a life worthy of the calling. Be patient. Learn to love. Seek unity. Paul goes on to talk about all of those, and they are worth considering. But as I said, I want to go back to Daniel. Because as I thought about him, as he's described in, in chapter 6, as a key leader, 
And he was at this stage of his life. He was a key leader in a very strong position of influence, which you are called to be. Key leaders, strong positions of influence. As I've thought about that, I want to reaffirm a few characteristics that actually set Daniel apart. That actually enabled him to live the life and prove that he did. But I want to pray that these would be your experience as you step into these new positions of leadership. Those of you who were here two weeks ago, this will be familiar. Daniel finds himself elevated to this important role within local government. He's not just one of three core chief people ministers who has the responsibility to oversee 120 others, but he's the most capable of those three to the point where he's singled out by the king for even greater things. The, the king has plans to set him over his entire kingdom. And Daniel's colleagues aren't too impressed. And therefore, they look for ways to undermine him. But they can't. And, and the reason they can't undermine Daniel is because of his character. It, it's because of his integrity. They can't get at him. And relatively early on in Daniel 6, we, we come across a phrase that kind of captures Daniel's makeup. It identifies certain features of him as a leader. And as I've been thinking about today, here's my third prayer for you. That, that as you embark on this new phase of life and leadership, you would be Daniel 6, 4 kind of people. Or 5 as it is in the New Living Translation. Listen to what other people said about Daniel. And this is my prayer for you. This is what people will say of you. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. And David and Dorothy, may, may you be with BMS and with IBTSC, those kind of leaders, those kind of followers of Jesus. Faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy. There's a fair amount of talk and concern about a crisis of leadership within our society, within our world, within our churches. And I'd suggest that if, if leaders in each of those contexts, society, world, church, reflected those three characteristics in how they led and in how they lived, then that crisis could be arrested and confidence would be rebuilt. David and Dorothy, be faithful. Be faithful to one another. Be faithful to God. Be faithful to your calling. Included in that word and characteristic is a commitment to obedience. Daniel was obedient to the king. He, he faithfully fulfilled his role. He carried out his duties. He did what he was asked to do. In other words, he served with integrity and therefore his opponents, anybody that wanted to get at him, just couldn't get at him. May you be faithful. May, may you be obedient as you serve your king as you build up his body. And always be responsible. Now that doesn't mean be boring. Doesn't mean don't let your hurt. <laughs> doesn't mean don't take risks. But you know what it does mean, as I understand it? In other translations, what it actually says is, don't be negligent. In other words, Daniel was never careless or thoughtless. Daniel didn't take advantage of people. Daniel never manipulated situations. 
He did what he did, and he treated people with care and with attention. And David and Dorothy, may you be those kind of responsible people. And then completely trustworthy. Came across an article in a magazine recently, not a Christian magazine, about leadership. And it asked this question. What makes a great leader? What makes a great leader? Here's what it said. You're probably thinking it's something buzzword-like, like confidence or vision or emotional intelligence. You hear a lot of that at the moment. For sure, those are all good qualities of a leader. But the answer is actually trustworthiness. Technically, it's not just being trustworthy. This is what the article said. Here's the key. It's being seen as trustworthy. And you know, one of the first questions in our minds whenever we meet people, particularly new people, one of the first questions, can I trust this person? Daniel was clearly someone who'd be trusted. And this feature of his life stood out, spoke volumes. And so David and Dorothy, as you walk into a new situation, I pray that you will be completely trustworthy in your lives and in your leadership. And so my fourth and final prayer. And I want to go back to that BMS document, this vision for the future, because on the very first page of it, and I'll not ask any of you to quote the first page, because I know you know it back to front, all of you sitting in that front row. But on the very first page, it talks about drawing from deep wells. And here's the opening sentence. Our relationship with God, both both personally and corporately, is key to being fruitful in mission today. And then that document goes on to talk about the importance of prayer. And one of the core features of Daniel's life and leadership was his commitment to daily prayer. His consistent pattern and predictable rhythm of getting down on his knees three times a day. As a busy, high-ranking government official with a demanding schedule. This was what was central to his faith and routine. And no matter what was happening in and around his life, the pressures, the threats, the squeezes, the noise, the challenges, Daniel still prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, as the wee phrase in Daniel 6 says. Prayer was a constant. It was part and parcel of who he was. Cut his life open, as someone has said, and prayer was just running through it. And as Robert Murray McShane, 19th century pastor from Dundee, said, and this is a strong comment to make, but he said this, do you know a man, woman, is what he or she is on her knees before God and nothing more. David and Dorothy, my prayer for you is that amidst all the changes and the readjustments, the busyness and the new experiences, the stretches and the sense of adventure, that you would maintain the holy habit of prayer that you would regularly draw from deep wells and that your personal prayer-infused relationship with God would be the key to fruitful mission, fruitful living, fruitful leadership. And so, Dorothy, as you wrote in this article, the knitting is on hold. You wrote this, not me. The knitting is on hold for at least another four years. 
And therefore, as you go and as we commission you today, my four hopes, my four prayers for you are these. Keep being provocative. Live a life worthy of your calling to equip. Be faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy, and pray like Daniel, and may God help you, and may God bless you. Thank you, David. Before we sing our last hymn, let's pray together. We all need to latch on to those four things. We're a needy church in a needy world, so let's pray. <clears throat> Loving Heavenly Father, we come to you, the source of all our strength and help, and recognize that we are needy people. And as we are sent into your world, we pray that we would draw deeply from the wells of salvation. And we pray for one another facing many different challenges represented here. Strengthen us and draw near to us. Fill our weaknesses with your strength. We pray for Dave Schofield and for his family and the loss of his dad. Comfort his mom and his sisters. Surround that family with your love and your peace. We pray today for Rachel Roney as she arrives in Bangladesh. Surround her with that sense of your hand upon her, opening doors for effective service and equip her and watch over her, we pray. We pray for all who have been struggling with ill health. You know our needs, Lord. And we pray for our world, for governments and nations, especially as an escalation of attacks in Syria begin this week. Lord, protect the vulnerable. May there be a determination to bring this war to an end. We pray for millions of people on the move across Europe. Open a door for the needy and protect borders against those who would cause harm. So, Father God, we turn to you as people who need you. Equip us, bless us, and send us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.